0: Well, this time we're going to transition to our teaching time. Um, I'll go and invite Caitlin up for our scripture reading. And I'll invite you to go ahead and prepare your hearts and go and open up your Bibles if you have them to John chapter 11. This is God's word. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go.
1: Thanks, Caitlin. Good morning, church family. You guys doing well? Good? It's good to see you. My name's Aaron. Some of are doing better than others, I hear. (laughs) Uh, My name is Aaron. If you're new, one of the pastors, glad to have you with us. And we are in the gospel of John and we're in a particular story that we've kind of broken up into a few weeks, the story of this man named Lazarus who died and his his sisters, Mary and Martha, and their interactions with Jesus. And, uh, you know, as you can, if you, if you're familiar with the the story, you kind of know how this ends, right? Or if even at this very moment, you can read the English language, you can see how the story ends. But one of our friends, a member here, she had to work the last couple of Sundays. And so she was texting with my wife this last week. She's like, what happened to Lazarus? What's, what's going on? Did he, did he make it? Is he okay? What happened? And my wife texted back like, no, he's still dead next Sunday. And and her, her response, her text back to my wife was like, man, Aaron is leaving Lazarus in the grave longer than Jesus did. <laughs> I'm like, all right, fair enough. So let's, <laughs> let's conclude the story this week, which actually it isn't really the conclusion. It actually serves as the hinge point kind of into the rest of the gospel. And I'll explain more about that in a minute. Before we do anything else, would you join with me in prayer? God, we, we want to experience your resurrection power here this morning. God, you have promised to be with us when we gather together in your name. You have promised that your word is not empty or void, but that, God, you accomplish what you want to accomplish when your word is proclaimed. And so, God, would we bring our hearts to you right now? God, I don't know every person. I don't know every situation in this room, but I know that we live in a world that is marked by death Anywhere and everywhere that we look, brokenness and sickness and suffering and hardship and death. And Jesus, we need your resurrection power. We need it in our world. We need it in our cities. We need it in our communities. We need it in our homes and in our lives individually. So Jesus, would you send your spirit? Would you guard my lips? I don't want to say anything that's unhelpful or untrue. Would you help me to, to, to serve these people well? And would you give each and every single one of us soft and, and teachable and receptive hearts? We pray this all in Jesus' good name. Everyone said, amen. So the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at this story, and in the first week we talked about Martha specifically, and about how sometimes we have expectations of, of Jesus, and expectations of how God should do things, and how sometimes God does things on a different timetable. And then last week in particular, we looked at Mary and Martha, these two sisters, and how different they are. You know, just speaking in broad strokes, Martha is the doer, the, the woman of action, the thinker, the theologian, and, and Mary is much more relational, much more emotional, and how Jesus meets with these two women in in very different and very unique ways. And that's a beautiful thing, amen, church, that that God meets with us how we are. And so just a quick show of hands, uh, I did this last week, but how many of you would say that you're probably more like Mary? Raise your hands, okay? Yeah, you're more like Mary. It's not a bad thing to say I'm more emotional, more relational. How many of you would say, I'm more like Martha? Yeah, and all of you were like, yes, give me something to do. I'm like, Ma, I will raise my hand, I will take that action step, right? We we kind of looked at that, and 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 again, those are kind of broad strokes. Well, last week, after that sermon that I preached, my wife and my oldest daughter, sitting right there, were driving home, and uh and my oldest daughter was saying, you know, I'm not I'm not really like Mary or Martha. Like there's a little bit there, and there's a little bit or I relate, but I don't, I'm not really, I'm not really like either of them. And my next oldest daughter piped up from the backseat and goes, hey, maybe you're Lazarus. <laughs> 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 ah, sisters, right? But actually without realizing it, she said something that's actually really true and profound because in this narrative, in this story, there is uh, an idea where we should relate to Lazarus. Because, like Lazarus, without Jesus, we are dead and hopeless in the grave. But when we meet Jesus, when we encounter Jesus in his power, then we're made alive. So you know what? Sorry, Mackenzie, you are Lazarus, right? But we're all Lazarus. And there's a progression that we're gonna see as we go through this. This this story of Lazarus, it's like a it's like a bomb that just explodes and, and all of these other themes and all of these other threads start to come out. So you're going to have to forgive me. We're going to start with the story of Lazarus, but I'm going to move around a bit into some, some bigger pictures and some bigger theology. We're going to start with the raising of Lazarus, which points us to the resurrection of Jesus, which guarantees the resurrection of us all. So we're going to go from Lazarus to Jesus to us, that's the progression if you want to take notes and follow along. Let's pick it up here in chapter 11, verse 38. And then Jesus, deeply moved again. Again, last week we looked at that word, that deeply moved. This is happening again. If you, if you weren't here, this word is a unique word. It, it doesn't just mean deeply moved as in like sorrowful or empathy. It actually has to do with indignation and anger. The root word is related to that of like a horse flaring its nostrils and stomping on the ground. Jesus, while he is moved with sympathy and grace and love and care for his friends who are suffering, he is also indignant about the fact that sin and death are wreaking havoc on the good and beautiful world that he created and in the hearts and the lives of the people that he loves. So you should not see the sadness and the sorrow of Jesus as some sort of empty hand wringing, uh, just mere sentiment. No, this is Jesus who is going to be up in arms and he's going to do something about death. Okay, so Jesus now he's he's deeply moved again. He finally he comes to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. In, in this part of the world, in this time of the world, the standard practice when somebody dies is they would bind them up uh, in linen strips. They would put oils and spices on their bodies and they would place the body into this cave. And often these caves would have multiple shelves. It would be kind of a shared grave, often a family sort of a grave. And they would leave the person's body in there for a few years and when decomposition had done its work, they would go in, they would remove the remains, they would take the bones and place them into a much smaller you could call it an ossuary or a, a box that they would put the bones in. And let's just say, praise the Lord that that's not standard practice for us today, because I would not be able to do that job. I'd have to hire someone to do it, but that's kind of what would happen. And so Lazarus is here in this first stage of burial, waiting for decomposition to set in. Jesus said, take away the stone Martha, here's Martha again, the sister of the dead man, said to him, just look how practical minded she is. Lord, by this time there will be an odor for he has been dead four days. Or as the King James Version so eloquently puts it, he stinketh, right? So Martha's like, look, Jesus. I mean, look, she, I love Martha. She's, she's a woman of action. She's theological. And here she's even a little bit scientific. Like, listen, there will be an odor. Decomposition and decay has set in. You really ought to rethink your plan, dearest Lord Jesus. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Hey, Martha, remember I reminded you about this. So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Is it good to know that the Father hears the prayers of Jesus? Is it good to know that he hears your prayers as well? That you who are in Christ have access to the very throne room of heaven because you're in Christ, you're with Christ and that when you pray, you can have confidence like Jesus has confidence that you are heard. I thank you that you've heard me I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. Now listen, This there's a focal point here about Jesus saying, I want you to really believe what I'm doing. I, I came across this quote from a, a commentator named Gary, Gary Burge, and, and it, he brings up a really interesting thought. This is what Gary says. He says that this note is significant, that Lazarus has been dead for four days. There was a well-known Jewish belief attested from about 8,200 that the soul of a dead person remained in the vicinity of the body hoping to re-enter it for three days. But once decomposition set in, the soul departed. John wants us to know clearly that Lazarus is truly dead and that the miracle of Jesus cannot be construed as a resuscitation. Okay? Okay. Not like Miracle Max and the Princess Bride. He's mostly dead. Lazarus is all the way dead. Fully dead. And Jesus is saying, I'm I'm doing this on purpose. God, thank you for allowing me this opportunity. I know that you always hear me. But I'm saying these things on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. By the way, again, this is all side notes. I'll get to my main points in a moment here, but Have you ever been self-conscious when you're praying because you're thinking about what the other people are thinking about while you're praying? So that's not how prayer is supposed to go. When you pray, you're supposed to talk to God, right? Yeah, you're not praying for the benefit of the other people. But I love that Jesus here says, no, I'm explicitly praying to you right now, Father, so that these other people standing around may know, you've already heard me. You've already answered my prayer. I've been praying this whole time. I've been praying that the decomposition wouldn't set in. I've been praying that you would preserve him and not let him see decay. I'm just saying these things out loud now so that they can really believe that you sent me. When he said these things, he cried out, cried out, it's a strong verb, with a loud voice, double emphasis. I need your help on this one, Sound City. He cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Now you gotta imagine There was at least one skeptical person in the crowd. They're like, are you serious? He's dead. And you're yelling at a corpse. Like I've heard of this Jesus character, but he seems like he's come unhinged. And then I love how underwhelming it is. Oh, the man who died came out. (laughs) his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Like he can't even see. And Jesus said to them, unbind him, let him go. Like, (laughs) Lazarus, where do you want to go? Like, I haven't really thought about it. I've been dead for four days, but thanks for asking. Like, unwrap him, let him go. I would just like to point out to you that if God did not empower Lazarus. Lazarus could not have obeyed what Jesus said to do. Dead people cannot get up and come out of the grave unless God does some sort of miraculous work that enables them to do so. Are you tracking with me? If you or I just went up to a dead thing and yelled at it to live, it's not going to live unless God does a miracle. Friends, we are all Lazarus. We cannot do what God says to do if God doesn't first enter in and make us be alive through Christ Jesus. We talk about obedience. I'm not afraid of talking to you about ways to obey. I'm not afraid of telling you, you should pray. You should read your Bible. You should share the gospel with people. Hey, you should try like not sinning so much, okay? Try being nice to your spouse. Try being nice to your kids. Try being a good neighbor. There's a lot as Christians that we're called to do. And apart from the life-giving power of God himself, we can do none of it. We're dead, like dead, Like, I mean like dead apart from the saving and resurrecting power of Jesus. And I love this because there's a prophetic connection in here. Lazarus' body does not have a stench. Martha was wrong. Sorry, science, (laughs) right? During the delay, I'm convinced that during his delay, the two days where he waited, Jesus was praying that, that God would preserve the body of Lazarus. And I bet you when he came out, good Bible-minded Jewish people, I bet you that some of them had the words of Psalm 16 going through their mind when it says, I always let the Lord guide me because he's at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My body also rests securely for you will not abandon me to shale. That's the grave, the realm of the dead nor will you allow your faithful one to see decay. Now, these words are true of Lazarus. These words prophetically are ultimately true about Jesus, but they're true about us as well. And even just right now, a simple point that I want to make is God cares about the entirety of who you are. Sometimes in church, we say things like, God wants to save your soul. Well, it says, my soul rests, uh, my, my, my soul rests securely. But it also talks about my body rests securely, my whole being. God cares about the entirety of who you are. Jesus doesn't just want to save your soul. He wants to save all of you. And in fact, he has told us that the end game of this whole salvation project is the restoration of all things. That's where God is taking this universe. Now, that's the end of the story for it's not, next week we'll see that this now becomes a real turning point where where they, they the, the religious leaders kind of start saying like we got to deal with this Jesus character once and for all. And this is the turning point in the book. So I want to push pause right now before we get into those stories next week and the following weeks. But I want to start to unpack, like I said, this, this bomb just went off. Lazarus just got up out of the tomb. What does that mean? Well, it means a lot of things. I think it means like I don't know, like a lot of points. Let me just start walking through them, okay? Here's the first thing I want to point out to you is this. Lazarus raising is a sign. And what do signs do? Signs point to other things. If you've ever gone on like a trip or, you know, you've gone to like a national monument or something and you're going to say you're going to see the Grand Canyon, would you just stop at the sign that says Grand Canyon up this way and like, "Wow, what a beautiful sign." All right, kids, back to the hotel room, right? No, you need to follow the sign all the way to where it's going. You remember back in the beginning of the Gospel of John, we haven't talked about this for a while, but like back in John chapter 2, who who here remembers what the first miracle that Jesus performed was? Water into wine. And the the author, John, the apostle, he tells us explicitly, this was the first sign that Jesus performed. In chapter 4, this was the second sign that Jesus performed. And then he stops numbering them for us. It's almost like John is saying, hey, pay attention. I I, I teed you up, I gave you the hint, start following, right? If you ever watch a well-crafted movie, they start dropping these little hints, like, ooh, this is going somewhere. What's the plot twist gonna be? M. Night, where are we going with this, right? It's kind of like that, but better. Because this is real. (laughs) John is saying, in his gospel, I'm giving you these hints. I'm giving you these, these clues. I'm giving you these cues. At the end of the gospel of John, John says, Jesus did a lot of other signs. I could have written them down, but I didn't. I wrote these ones down specifically because I want you to know that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing, have life in his name. The signs are all pointing to various aspects of Jesus. Life, death, resurrection, his ministry, to teach us things about the kingdom of God. N.T. Wright puts it well. He says, we cannot but connect the two, the fate of Lazarus and the fate of Jesus. We cannot but suppose that Jesus, in praying for Lazarus and then raising him to life, was aware that he was walking toward his own death and praying his way into the Father's will for what would happen thereafter. The raising of Lazarus is not about the raising of Lazarus. The raising of Lazarus is about a signpost pointing us to Jesus' resurrection. Now this story, you're going to see next week, the religious leaders start saying, not only do we need to deal with Jesus, we actually need to kill Lazarus again because he stands as too much of a testimony of the validity of these things that Jesus is saying. That's crazy, right? The the religious leaders are saying we need to commit murder to keep people from believing in this other guy who keeps raising people from the dead and healing the sick. Just let that logic rest on you for a minute. But it brings up an interesting point, which is this. They could kill Lazarus again. They could kill Lazarus. Which means, this is point two, if you're tracking along, the raising of Lazarus is different than the resurrection of Jesus. It's not a resuscitation, but it's not a full resurrection yet, because why? Why? Lazarus died again. I actually feel kind of bad for Lazarus. Like, really? I had to die again? I was raised back to life. That was unpleasant. I'd like to not repeat that. Oh, now I get to die again. Thanks. I just imagine like Lazarus, my imagination sometimes runs wild, but I just imagine Lazarus like in the presence of God in paradise. He's like, hey, uh, hey, Enoch, How many times you die? Oh, zero? You got carried straight into heaven? That's cool. I died twice, yeah. Oh, Elijah, what happened to you, bro? Oh, you got carried by chariots and fire and all that just straight into the presence of God? That's awesome. Yeah, I died twice, two times. One time earlier and then I lived some more and then I died second time. It's terrible both times, don't recommend it. Zero out of zero, would not do again, right? There's a difference between raising and resurrection. Definitely a difference between resuscitation. I'll try to keep my my verbiage correct throughout this teaching. I can't guarantee that I will. But there is a difference between someone who is dead just coming back to life and someone who was dead being resurrected. And Lazarus raising and Jesus' resurrection are different specifically because we are told that Jesus, unlike Lazarus, will never die again. In Romans chapter 6 The apostle Paul says, now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over him. So the Christian claim is not just that Jesus rose from the dead. It's that death no longer has any hold over him. No longer has any power over him. He will never die again. Or as John, our same John, I believe, put it in the book of Revelation 1.5, says Jesus Christ, he calls him the firstborn of the dead which if that's not a heavy metal band name, I don't know what is, but that is a an amazing title for Jesus to be called the firstborn of the dead. This is what separates Christianity from any other system of belief, any other religious faith, any other way of living. It's that Jesus died and rose again. And if I could put it even more plainly, Jesus' resurrection is the linchpin of, of our faith. Everything hangs. Everything rises and falls. Everything depends on Jesus dying and rising again. If you, if you want to take a moment and flip over to 1 Corinthians 15, let me, let me show you how the Apostle Paul puts it. He says, I gotta, I gotta get some water. When I start preaching about the resurrection, I get oh so excited. So hold on a second. It's not even Easter yet. We're just getting warmed up in September. Whew. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, listen, friends, our preaching is in, fa- in vain and your faith is in vain. Verse 15, we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it's true that the dead are not raised. Let me paraphrase this for you. If Jesus isn't alive, this is a colossal waste of all of our time. And any of us who claim that Jesus has been raised, well, we're not only lying, we're specifically lying about God, which is the worst kind of lie that you can tell. Listen, let me, let me tell you this. Every single Sunday, you are going to hear about the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ through my preaching, through anyone else that's going to preach, through our singing, through the celebration of the Lord's table. Why? Because it is the core of the Christian faith. We could do sermons about how to manage your finances. That's all well and good, and that's totally fine. We could do sermons on how to love your spouse or how to be a better parent. We could teach all sorts of good moral teachings about how to be a good moral person that's not necessarily bad and wrong, but if it doesn't depend on the death and resurrection of Jesus, then it's not a Christian sermon. There are plenty of TED Talks out there with lots of good, useful, practical help and information. What you need to understand that if it's not about the death and resurrection, if it's not dependent on the death and resurrection of Jesus, then it is not a Christian sermon. It might be good, helpful, true, all of that. I'm not saying it's not helpful. I'm just saying it's not Christian. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who also have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ, listen to what he says. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, if all this is is just about how to make you have your best life right now, we are of all people most to be pitied. in the words of that great theologian, Lloyd Christmas, you are one pathetic loser. (laughs) From Dumb and Dumber, right? That's a joke. That's what he's saying. You are pitiable. This is dumb. If Jesus hasn't been raised, this is dumb. You're sad and you're pathetic. Oh, Oh, but Christ has been raised. Oh, but Jesus really did have the flesh beaten off of his back by a Roman scourge. Oh, he really did have a crown of thorns driven deep into his scalp. Oh, he really did have his hands and his feet nailed to a wooden cross. Oh, he really was wrapped up and bound up and placed in a cold cave for three days. And he really did raise from the dead on the third day conquering over sin and death and hell and all things are now completely made new. What an amazing savior we serve. Now some of you might be saying if you're if you're not a follower of Jesus, you're a skeptic, you're you're curious about these things but maybe you've got some reservations. You say, well this is This is what I'm talking about. I can't believe in Jesus. I can't follow Jesus because of all that supernatural stuff, all these these miracles. And let me just say this to you. I get it. I'm not saying that dead people rise all the time. In fact, if you read the New Testament, it's really quite rare. There's like a couple of kids, Lazarus, and then Jesus. I'm not saying that these types of miracles happen every day. That's why they're called miracles. Miracles. With, with all due respect to any of the expectant mothers in here, when your child is born, yes, it's a miracle, yeah, but it happens all the time, okay? Like a baby being born, it's not like, oh, a miracle. Like, it's precious, yes. But what we're talking about is something that happens, you know, once every, once every universe or so. Jesus rose from the dead. I get that that's hard to, to buy into. I would, just, I would just humbly submit to you this. There are a lot of things, even with all of our scientific knowledge and scientific advancement, there are a lot of things that we do not understand how they work. I was reading an uh, an article about some scientists from the University of Bonn, and they set out, there's this theory about how, you know, the theories of relativity and with quantum mechanics and a bunch of stuff that I don't really understand, but I've seen some documentaries, so I have a false sense of confidence but they're saying things like, oh, we set out to disprove this theory that the same atom can be in two places at the exact same time. And we tried and we couldn't disprove it. We actually can show pretty convincingly mathematically and well, as, as well as with our experiments that the same atom somehow can be in the exact same place at two times. And I sit there and I think, you have been standing next to the particle accelerator for too long. Like you, you need your... Brain check. Like, how are you claiming these things? But the science is there. They don't know, they don't know how. They don't understand how. But they can kind of show that an atom can be in the exact same, the, the exact same atom can be in two different places at the exact same time. Okay. And you're telling me when, that, that God, if there is a God, and let's say that there is a God who spoke the world into existence and he exists outside of space and time as we know it, you're telling me that that God who is already just frying your mind and your understanding of the scientific world by putting the same atom in two places at the same time. You're telling me that that God who exists outside of space-time couldn't preserve the body of a dead man named Lazarus? You're telling me he couldn't uh, have a virgin named Mary uh, become impregnated by the power of the Holy Spirit? You're telling me that that God who exists outside of space and time couldn't raise Jesus from the dead at the end of three days in the grave? If you believe in that God, and if you come with a little bit of epistemological humility, like how you know things, then it's not a logical leap to say, yeah, Christ died and he's risen. And we have hope now, not just in this life, but in the life to come. Now, the the resurrection of the raising, ah, see, I did it. Ah, The raising of Lazarus points us to the resurrection of Jesus. And the resurrection of Jesus is the guarantee of our resurrection. Follow me now here. Jesus' resurrection is the first of many to come. You can actually stay right there in 1 Corinthians 15 because the apostle Paul writes, but as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. The idea is that Jesus' body was placed in the ground like a seed, and on the third day, raised to new life, bringing life and immortality into the world. But it says first fruits. Anybody here, you know, have a garden, you guys plant any fruits or vegetables or when it's when it's the right season for the fruits to start growing, then you see that very first one. Ah, that's good. That's good news. That's a good sign. That means that other ones are going to start coming. Isaiah 26 prophesied this hundreds of years before Jesus. It says, your dead will live. Their bodies will rise. Their Bodies will rise. Awake and sing, you who dwell in the dust. I wonder if Lazarus started singing. For you will be covered with the morning dew, and the earth will bring out the departed spirits. Lazarus was raised. Jesus was raised. Many more will be raised. And you say, well, well, wait a minute. I thought we were already raised with Christ. The Bible uses that kind of language. Yes, yes. We are raised spiritually now, and we will be raised physically later. I think Colossians 3 is really helpful with this. The way that the apostle Paul puts it, he says, so if you have been raised with Christ, okay, past tense, show of hands. How many of you have placed faith in Jesus? Then you have been raised with Christ. Awesome news. If you have been raised with Christ, you need to seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, like your life the the life you once lived, it's dead. That person is dead and buried and gone. You died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And then listen to what he says in verse four, right out of all of that, he says, then when Christ, who is your life, when he appears, when he returns, when he, when he, comes to reclaim that which is his, then you also will appear with him in glory. So you get the best of both worlds. You are raised spiritually now. And we don't yet feel the full effects of that glorification, that resurrection that Jesus experienced. But one day when Christ appears, you will. It is not just that your spirit is raised with Jesus. It is literally that your body will be raised with Jesus. Physical resurrection is the final step of salvation. Let me say it again. Physical resurrection is the last step of salvation. Salvation. Before the foundations of the world, God predestined you to be adopted into his family. So your salvation goes back before there was a world. When the right fullness of time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, Jesus, to die, pay the price for our sins, rise again. Your salvation was secured on the cross 2,000 years ago. You recognize that you are a sinner and you're in need of grace. You pray, you bow your knee, you humble yourself. God's spirit enters into you, makes you alive. You are receiving your salvation. Christ returns. Your body is raised and you and I live imperishable for all of eternity. How's that sound? That's a big salvation. That, that, that's a lot better than say this sinner's prayer and get salvation, right? It's a lot bigger than that. It was before there was a world and it's gonna last into eternity and it's gonna be good. It's gonna be really good. i will to walk a long ways back to my notes now. Here's, here's the third thing though that we need to, to understand about this resurrection the physical resurrection is not just for Christians. Listen. Every person who has ever lived will be raised at the end of the age. The prophet Daniel says this. He says, those who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake some, listen to these words, some to eternal life and some to disgrace and contempt. Jesus says almost the exact same thing in John 5. We studied this not quite a year ago. Jesus says, truly I tell you, friends, listen, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in himself, so also he has granted to the Son to have life in himself. And he has granted him the right to pass judgment because he is the Son of Man. And he says, don't, don't be amazed at this. This shouldn't shock you because a time is coming when all, all, all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good things to the resurrection of life. But those who have done wicked things, listen to this phrase, the resurrection of condemnation. The resurrection of condemnation. That means for those who have placed their hope and their trust in Jesus, there is an embodied physical eternity, new heavens, new earth that awaits us, nothing but glory, nothing but joy, nothing but peace and the kindness and the loving goodness of our God. And for those who have rejected God, there is an eternity that awaits that is physical, embodied, separated from the joy and the love and the life and the grace and the peace of our God. have used the analogy before, but in, in John's gospel, you'll remember he never uses the word repent. Nowhere in this gospel does, does the apostle John use the word repent, which we're so used to seeing that all throughout the New Testament, all throughout the Bible. Repent, receive forgiveness, which is absolutely true. John just wants to bring a different angle. The angle that John is bringing is, hey, you've been disconnected from the source of life. You've been, like any piece of electronics that you have, you've been disconnected from the source of power and your your battery is draining. And unless you are reconnected to the source of life, the son who came to bring the life of God himself to, to connect us to the source of life, you're heading for everlasting death. People were created for immortality. When God created the heavens and the earth, when God created mankind, we were not meant to die. Death is a tragedy. Every death is a tragedy. The ripping apart of our physical and our our immaterial portions. Now, when we grieve as Christians, we do so with hope, but we still grieve because every death is a tragedy. We were created for immortality and we were created to be set on an eternal trajectory. Think about about the way in your life if you make certain decisions, you know that they'll have an effect. You, You keep choosing to eat healthy, you keep choosing to exercise, well, you're gonna go in a direction of physical health. You choose to not... Take care of your body and, and smoke all the time and eat unhealthy and you're going to go in this direction. Now that that's what? 50, 60, 70, 80 years? How far would those things go if you drew the lines out to eternity? Your soul, who you are spiritually, and yes, even who you are physically was created for an eternal trajectory. There's an author, C.S. Lewis, you've, you've heard of him. I love the way he puts this and, and, and he's gonna use poetic language so don't get hung up on some of the poetic language but listen to how he describes this idea of just that eternal trajectory that we're on. He says this, it is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. To remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which if you saw it now you would be strongly tempted to worship or a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long, we are, in some degree, helping each other to one or other of these destinations. It is in light of these overwhelming possibilities. It is with the awe and circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another. All friendships, all loves, all play, all politics— There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. It is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit, immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. Next to the blessed sacrament itself, your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses. Which leads me to say this. Eternity is a pressing, real issue that we need to consider deeply. I believe that following Jesus brings benefits in this life. There is hope for today. There is joy and there is peace to be had today. We can carry our burdens and our weights on a day-to-day basis to the Lord in prayer, but none of that is of any value. If I don't stand before you and say, Have you considered eternity? I want your marriage to go better. I want your finances to be better. I want you to be a good neighbor and a good part of your community. But at the end of the day, what I want more than anything else for you, what God wants more than anything else for you is to know his saving power. Have you trusted in Jesus? Heaven is real. Hell is real. Eternity is a long time. That's that's the most important thing. How do we respond to this? We we trust in Jesus if you've not done so yet. If you're here today and and you've you've come and you've heard and you've listened but you don't have that personal connection with Jesus, I'm pleading with you today in love. Receive the gift of life. Receive the gift of salvation that he has for you. Confess your sins. Know that, that all those words we've been saying before are true, that Jesus has Love for you, he has grace for you. He's he's the one who says, "Come to me, all you who are heavy, heavy burdened and, and weary. Come and find rest for your soul. Come to Jesus." For those of you who have received that gift of salvation, would you share Jesus? I was convicted by this this week to think of this that idea of like I've never I've never spoken with a mere mortal. Every person I've ever spoken to is, has an eternal destination and there are times when in my own busyness and selfishness and cowardice I don't share the good news of Jesus with people and I need to repent of that. Where Have you really experienced his love, his grace? Do you really believe what Jesus is saying is true? Can you think of somebody in your life that, that needs to hear the words of eternal life? And then lastly, number three is take heart. Take heart. I don't say this to minimize any of your hardships. Our hardships are real. Our sufferings are real. There are a number of people in this congregation, a number of people in this room that I've been texting with throughout the week because there are some real, painful, hard situations that you're walking through. But friends, we do not serve a dead religious founder. We serve a living and resurrected savior. And that means that death does not get the last word. That means that cancer does not get the last word that alzheimers or parkinsons does not get the last word that means that divorce does not get the last word miscarriages does not get the last word broken relationships and destroyed friendships and fractured politics none of that gets the last word jesus our resurrected savior gets the last word and his last word is life amen so take heart take heart We're living in a land of death. Everywhere around, we see the corruption and the bondage of decay. But guess what? If you're a Christian, then you've got God's resurrecting life force within you. His Holy Spirit is within you and you get to go share a little bit of life in a dark and broken world. Praise God. How good is that? All right, we gotta pray. And then I'll invite Pastor Doug to come lead us in communion. God, we are so thankful that we are people of the resurrection. We're so thankful that death and destruction doesn't get the last word. We're so thankful, Lord Jesus, that you died and rose again. And God, would you help us? If there's anyone here today who needs to receive that gift of grace, that gift of salvation for the first time, God, would you empower them to do so? Like Lazarus, we can't obey you unless you do it. So would you please do it? God, if there's any of us here that need to to just go share this good news with someone, would you put them on our hearts and minds right now? And for all of us as we live in a broken land, a weary world filled with the markings and the effects of death, would you empower us and strengthen us to go be agents of your life? We pray these things in Jesus' good
2: name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Aaron, for faithfully teaching us from the word. Really appreciate that. Um, We're going to transition now from the sermon to communion. And if you have the elements with you, um, go ahead and start getting them out. If you didn't, there's some out by the doors you can grab real quick. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus' body was broken for the world. Taking the bread reminds us that we're no longer slaves to sin. Jesus' blood was shed for the world. Taking of the juice reminds us of the great sacrifice for our sins. And how dreadful. How dreadful and serious our sin is. In the presence of a holy God. Continuing on from chapter, from chapter 11 of 1 1 Corinthians. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, before we take. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Reflecting on the teaching from Pastor Aaron, we are all, it's just a reminder, we are all Lazarus. Dead and hopeless, but for the believer made alive by Jesus. So, to summarize, just if you are, if you have not placed your faith in Jesus, if you don't know Him as your friend, if you have not accepted that free gift of salvation, now is the time. Today is the time. If you are a believer, yes, we need to be witnesses. Jesus said we would be witnesses. So share Jesus. Just briefly, one time I had what may be called a vision. I don't know. But I do know that I saw myself in heaven. And for some reason I could see somebody that I knew. I don't know who it was, but they weren't in heaven. They were apart from God. And there was a few words. It was, "Why didn't you tell me?" And this convicts me. So may we be all those that share Jesus with our friends and our family, the people that God's brought into our life. And finally, as Pastor Aaron said, "Take heart. we have hope. We're going to be with the Lord." Until that time, may we be faithful. As the band was going to start playing and singing, um, just take a moment to remember Jesus' sacrifice. Just remember. It's what he asked us to do. Examine yourself. Confess. Pray over the one next to you. and Repent. Father, we are so grateful that you have made yourself known to us, that you came down and showed us Yourself to us in Jesus. We thank you for this church where we can come together and worship and pray and fellowship and be taught. May this time of communion today be a reminder to us. May we never forget. May we remember who you are and who we are in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.